0: Morning Ellie, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: It's our pleasure. Hello,
2: Mark. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, thank you. And I trust you are both wonderfully well.
1: Yes, indeed. Beautiful day here in New Jersey.
2: <laughs> Super job.
0: Yeah, it's uh we're still we look like there may be a storm coming up actually on this side. It's been uh stifling hard. Um almost two months of uh, 100 degrees.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and we beat, even beat a record 114 a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah.
0: But anyway, we're not here to talk about the weather. So, um, Ellie, your friend, Ina Lukianowski, I hope I pronounced this right, well, so she won't get right. yeah. yeah. Lukianowski, suggested we talk to you, and here you are. Um, you are the founder director of the Smart Human LLC, your interest is in environmental, chemical, radiation, and you're working with multiple organizations, including the Environmental Working Group. Now, let's talk about your background. Um, What is your background and how did you become what you are now?
1: So, um, wonderful, so wonderful to be here and thank you because I think the messages that I'm going to share today, the information I think is, is very, very practical. So I, I'm, I'm so glad to have the opportunity. Um, so my story actually started off rather, I would say, um, I want to say organically. I, I was a practicing physician. I'm still a practicing rheumatologist and an autoimmune disease specialist. Um, and about eight or nine years ago, my dog died. And uh, believe it or not, he was just a very young golden retriever. Um, and he passed away from something called autoimmune hepatitis, which is autoimmune liver disease. And when I was researching, you know, he was only four and a half years old. So when I was researching this diagnosis, um, which is not common in dogs and certainly not in golden retrievers. I started learning out of guilt and sadness that, um, you know, that there may be an environmental component to his, his, uh, his illness and his eventual death. Um, so when I started looking at his food quality, his, um, the air quality, we live on a farm, which we can get into, um, which has enormous number of pesticides. Um, you know, even the toy he was chewing nonstop since he was 10 weeks old, which was a rubber, very popular dog toy. Um, I really started to get very upset, but what I was learning more about even more than dogs and, and lack of regulation in in our country, in the U S, uh, for environmental chemicals, but more so, um, you know, what these chemicals and these lack of regulations were doing to human health. Um, and so I did find a connection between, um, the plastic toy that he was eating nonstop, even during his sleep. And he had 10 of them all degraded over time, um, that there were also cases of, um, Humans in these plastic uh, toy making companies that had case reports of autoimmune hepatitis who were otherwise healthy previous. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to actually do a cause and effect. That's pretty hard to do in any kind of you know environmental studies, um, unless it's well controlled. But in this case, it really started my whole journey into why we don't have the regulations we need, but also what humans, what individual citizens can do on their own to reduce those exposures, because we can't always wait uh, for governmental regulations to take place, as we can see from, you know, our past history on this issue.
0: Right, so uh, <clears throat> regarding chemical poisoning, um, I wanted to address a issue that's, Recently happened. Um, we all know, or we've known all along, that Monsanto has been poisoning us with uh, not only GMOs, but as with Roundup, including uh, glyphosate. So recently, uh, California court um, fined Monsanto, which is now owned by Bayer Chemicals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for 289 million dollars for poisoning a groundskeeper skipper due to his constant exposure to Roundup for more than 2 years and um, for people uh, that don't know Roundup made by Monsanto now owned by Bayer Chemicals can say glyphosate the world leading herbicide it was classified as a probable human carcinogen by the International Agency for Research of, of on cancer, I'm sorry, in 2015, which is part of the World Health um, Organization. Um, What is your impression on that verdict? And is this the beginning of an avalanche of lawsuits?
1: Yeah, I think it was a huge win for citizens and humanity and wildlife everywhere. Um, It was probably the biggest payout. Um, There may have been settlements perhaps in the past. I can't speak to that but this was a very um, uh, publicized case. I think it touched people worldwide. Um, And I think it's a really, I do hope it's the beginning of an an avalanche of of, um, uh, understanding and also um, reduction in the just the sheer level and the amount of uh, tonnage of pesticides that are used internationally. Um, Mm -hmm. Even DDT, I mean, as an example, DDT was removed um, in the 70s in in this country and not allowed to be used anymore. However, it's used in third world countries even now. Um, So we really need to think about the sheer amount of pesticides um, that are used because they do have real physiologic um, and biologic, um, you know, Uh, issues um, downstream, uh, either acute for acute poisoning when it occurs right away from high exposure, which includes, you know, respiratory illness and acute active airway, um, skin issues in terms of when it touches dermally for those who apply it to um, landscaping areas like this gentleman who who was a landscaper for the school. Um, But we also have long-term cumulative dose effects for many chemicals. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about humanity, because I, I often, you know, the reason the smarthuman.com, the smart human on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is called the smart human is because I've had a long history of anthropologic uh, training. Anthropology is minor, and, and I continue to look at the world through anthropologic eyes. Um, we have continued to put these chemicals on our, our foodstuffs, and it gets into our water, And we are only humans that have been experienced over 200 chemicals just in the, uh, I'm sorry, 87,000 chemicals in the last 200 years. Um, So in terms of evolution, we have been really hit pretty hard just in the Mm. last couple hundred years with just too much for the human body, in my opinion, to manage properly. Um, So yeah, I do hope that this is the beginning of reevaluating the chemicals that we do use. um, You know, it's not to say that chemicals shouldn't be used, but they should be tested in full before going to market. That is the real right. important issue with almost everything, every chemical, personal care products, um, you know, air quality, uh, air fresheners, all of these chemicals are otherwise proprietary in this country. Um, and I think better in the EU actually, where they have a much better oversight committees and testing that's required, we don't have that in this country. And so I'm hoping this is the beginning of of moving uh, manufacturers to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, um, that's actually two. Follow-up benefits on that. Um, uh, not only there are more lawsuits happening, which I read about yesterday. There's there are. I mean, it's starting to coming from all sides. Sure. Um, I'm. Uh, we interviewed the moms um, against Monsanto and uh, she posted something yesterday about about that. The mm-hmm. other, uh, the good side of that is that some cities have decided to stop using Roundup, spraying Roundup on their grounds, uh, whether it's parks or um, schools or, you know, so there's a benefit to that particular lawsuit. Yeah. Um, Regarding your, your comment about um, DDT, there was a study recently in Finland that showed that millions of pregnancies show that DDT insecticide is linked to autism in children.
1: Um, so yeah.:
0: It it's, it's just came out and no, on last week, Finland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. from Finland, There's a, there was also another study in Canada that said that there was about uh, 80% of pregnant women with glyphosate in their placenta, in their, you know, before the baby was born, so this, this toxic chemical is everywhere yeah. and it's affecting all of us and we need to find a way, we as in the people, because obviously the governments don't give a, a rat's behind about it, uh, we need to do something about it, we need to protest, we need to, uh, you know, sue, we need to do whatever it takes to stop these companies from poisoning us all over the world. And it's not just here, it's all over the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think recently we also just, EPA ordered um, a ban for the pesticide chlorpyrifos. So right. we're starting to see sort of a ripple effect um, you know, of where this could lead in a good way. And, um, you know, I will make a comment, it's just sort of the inner utero exposure, because I really want people to think about, you know, the developing human being Mm -hmm. in utero, Um, you know, almost all of these, I mean, you know, there are thousands of chemicals that cross the placenta um, from the mom, um, from exposure that she may have from drinking water, from food additives, from food, you know, preservatives, from personal care products that get absorbed through the skin intravaginally with tampons and the, and the chemicals that are in tampons and feminine mm-hmm. care products. Um, and, um, you know, I think we want to think about medications. Uh, one of the chapters in the textbook that, that um, came out last year that myself and Dr. Fred von Saal put together, along with 26 of the world's leading um, environmentalists, toxicologists, and biologists really shows that vulnerability, the vulnerability in utero and as a toddler and all of these periods where where development is so critical, including the teenage years, and believe it or not, including menopause, when we're talking about these dramatic hormonal changes that are so critical to normal, healthy development, and even later risk for diseases, believe it or not. Um, and so it's very important to think not just about this set of chemicals, pesticides, which act as endocrine disruptors to the endocrine system, which are hormones, but we have to think about all the other chemicals that come into play during development of a fetus, um, perhaps of the mom, even perhaps of the father. So, you know, it's it's really sort of a, an, a, an overall painting of concern. Um, of where these chemicals come from and how to reduce them in every aspect of our life, whether it's your home life and air quality at home, whether it's what you choose at the store for personal care products um, and um, what you eat. And, and very important to me is also what you drink in terms of just clean drinking water. So um, I agree that the pesticide issue was is huge and, and, and plenty of science showing the detrimental effects in utero and beyond but we need to think about all of them as much as we can.
0: Right, right. Um, uh, Maybe we should um, uh, do a quick reminder to our listeners that uh, an enormous amount of products that we use, live, or eat are either genetically engineered or they are created to resist Roundup. So Roundup, Ready. Corn, cotton, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And so, um, for example, you mentioned tampons, where well, tampons are made with cotton, and cotton comes from genetically engineered cotton made to resist Roundup, which allows uh, them to be spray more Roundup on it, and it gets into the cotton, and then we suffer the consequences. Uh, and, you know, of course, the food itself, like all the cereals and cornflakes, and I mean, soy is everywhere and and all of that is being sprayed generously with all these chemicals and we are um affected daily with it so i, I don't want to make people uh, paranoid but we should definitely be aware of the consequences of what we eat what we wear what we drink you know glyphosate also uh, ends up in the water runoff from you know uh, Agricultures. So um, why don't we address this issue because I understand it's your specialty water. So uh, what can you tell us about water um, quality or bad quality for that matter, including the uh, addition of fluoride to our water, drinking water?
1: Yeah. So as I started to explore drinking water, um, I started to find from the studies that that we really are inundated with chemicals, particularly through just plain drinking water. Um, whether it comes from a well, um, which many homes, uh, I think 40 million fi- uh, families uh, residences in the United States are fed by wells um, versus municipal treatment plants. We have 160,000 municipal treatment plants, which are water cleaning plants in the U.S., which is where we get our tap water from, town water, city water. Um, We have different methods of receiving drinking water, um, and they both have their risks. Of course, Um, well water does not require in a residential environment any testing. The only testing for any um, chemicals, including arsenic, benzene, Um, atrazine and some of these other farming, residual farming chemicals, heavy metals, any manufacturing chemicals that seep into aquifers underneath those wells that serve those wells, you are actually not required to have them tested for any chemicals unless you're selling the property. So that can be, you know, families keep houses in their families for years and never bother to check. Um, Now, when it comes to municipal treatment plants in the U.S., They're held to a law from 1974 called the Safe Drinking Water Act, which only covers 90 chemicals nationally, only 90 chemicals that we have in our armamentarium of allowable compounds. There's 87,000 chemicals currently available, 89,000 even, that can end up in our water um, systems essentially. So they come in from lakes and streams, which are the surface waters, um, and become drinking water through these municipal cleaning plants and also the aquifers that go underneath the ground. Um, anywhere, any, also um, air pollutants that land, those chemicals can land on these surface bodies as well as co- any contribution for manufacturing, runoff, illegal dumping and legal dumping, which there is an allowable level of legal dumping in certain municipalities. So there's also toilet water Um, that will have medications from oral contraceptive pills from urine from people who use them, blood pressure medications, antidepressants. All of those chemicals will make their way into a municipal treatment plant, but those plants are incapable of washing off those chemicals, most of them. Only 90 are regulated and uh, mitigated if there is an, uh, an elevated level. So when you think about what could be in your water, um, and how it's not filtered off at these municipal plants. Plus, the municipal plants can be 50, 60 miles from your home. So those pipes could break anywhere along the way or have leaks up until it ends up in your home mm. or your workplace or your nursery school. Um, that's where that water is, is draining into after all that travel. So, you know, what I, what I came to believe is that it's too complicated for an average citizen, including myself, to go through each – potential um, contaminant you know we, we see in the news we got we have lead in Michigan well we also have lead contamination in parts of New Jersey and other states across the country from broken in- infrastructure um, old pipes that have never been changed out but we also have chromium 6 we also have um, radon and some of the nucleotides that travel in water. We have, of course, bacteria and viruses from Hurricane Katrina and in Houston. So, you know, there's all these other aspects of contamination and we're we're not capable individually of necessarily knowing the science and having to collect all that data. So my number one recommendation, in fact, above all others, because it's risen to the top for me, is always filter drinking water, no matter whether it comes from wells or it comes from municipal tap. Um, I, don't, um, I don't recommend bottled water unless it's required locally for any major contamination. Of course, that would be necessary, but I do um, because of the plastics and the, and the low-level hormone activity of plastics that will leach into um, water. So I do recommend using tap or well water, but filtering at the point of use, which is at your tap, and there's a number of filters that have pros and cons, um, but that is where you want to filter and you want to fill up your water at that point because that's where it's the most clean um, at any given time during its uh, travel.
0: Yeah, Right, and carry them in uh, either stainless steel or uh, glass Correct. bowls. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, because you're, you're creating a system. You know, I look at it as a system for your whole life. What do we need more than anything in our lives? Human beings need water. We're made up 75, on average 75% of our bodies are made up of water. Um, there perhaps is no more important substance other than air and oxygen that a human body needs, um, including animals. If, you, if you're if you a pet lover, these animals do often need clean water as well. I mean, you wouldn't wanna restrict them as a pet lover myself. So, you know, I think we need to really think about even the water when, you know, you go to a restaurant or you go on vacation or you're anywhere and you ask for a glass of water, um, you know, we really don't put much thought into what's in it when we get say thank you and start drinking. You know, it's not to say you have to be paranoid to the point where you just stop drinking anywhere but home. Uh, but the idea is to maybe do 80%, 20%, 90 10 in terms of how much of your water is controlled through what you know it to be clean versus where we get it outside of, of our treated water or yeah, filtered and, water. Yeah.
2: An interesting That's fact, right. I was at a presentation um, about a month ago and there was a chap there, also an expert, but on the legal side of uh, water supply.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was saying in big cities, particularly London, as he has an expertise on that, um, that the water we drink has been through the human body 11, at least 11 times before we drink it. Ooh. And it's taken all of those things out of 11, or 11 other people's bodies before it goes into yours. Doesn't no, really. sound
1: very tasty, does it? No. I'm always better with the chloride and chlorine than to think about that. That's pretty horrible. <laughs> but but no, none of those choices are good ones, or none of no. those facts are good ones. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's very expensive to test your home drinking water. I mean, there's these simple tests you can get at sort of a big box store that tests maybe the top three or four, um, you know, volatile or the ones mm. that aerate off, and also the organic and inorganic contaminants that come in the water. Um, dissolved but you know those tests are very limited um, they're not great tests and if you pay for and I've tried to do this I actually wanted to test the grime from my water filter just to get an idea of what actually is getting stuck on the filter so I'm not drinking it and um, the most reasonable respected lab locally said to me that for every contaminant I wanted to check was on average fifty dollars so mm-hmm. if we're talking you know a hundred I mean that's just enormously expensive um, when, in fact, I'm catching that and hopefully knowing the filter that I'm using and understanding, you know, the consumer aspect of uh, its mm. rating system and who makes it and where, it, if it's outsourced, any parts. Um, that's a really expensive endeavor. So so I, I stick to filtering with the best contraption I can figure out, I can find.
2: Uh, to, to that end, do you have any that you recommend? I mean, we're quite happy for you to... to, to... Yeah,
1: so, so I tend to not you know throw out too much of my own consumer opinions because you know there is a difference between myself who can go out and buy a filter that's quite mm-hmm. expensive and those that just don't have the means and I don't want anyone to ever feel that they're at a disadvantage because there's some very good filters that are, for instance, carbon filters, which are your typical pitcher filter, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, there's several good ones on the market, consumer reports rated, of course, you wanna go through that. So those pitcher filters are actually very, very helpful. They get off a lot of um, um, volatile orga- organic compounds or VOCs, yeah. certainly detergents and chemicals that are used in the municipal treatment plants. To clean water actually allowable in your drinking water up to a certain Mm -hmm. level so you definitely are going to get chlorinated water because it's cleaning many of the bacteria and viruses Um, and so the carbon pitchers either on a refrigerator often or in a pitcher or even on the faucet um, are their activated charcoal is actually reasonable for a good portion of that they don't however take a large portion of lead um, and there are several other chemicals like um, PFOS and PFOA or the poly or the perfluorinated chemicals mm-hmm. don't get removed. And those are quite pervasive. Um, definitely in New York, in New York state Hooksick Falls is a huge um, issue with um, the PFOAs and PFOSs, which are the perfluoralkyls, which are fluorinated chemicals that contaminate and continue con- to contaminate that water. So again, they're limited, but they're useful. And yeah. so I definitely want people, especially people in colleges, you know, people in schools, and people, you know, at workplace uh, where they can't install a big filter into that place or they're not allowed to into their apartments or, or homes. You want to be able to have that available for you um, to at least remove some of those contamin- contaminants. I often will say um, if you have a pitcher that's carbon uh, 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 charcoal or...
2: Um, Activity like, carbon.
1: Yeah, activated carbon. Thank you. Um, You can also fill up from your refrigerator filter Mm. water and keep it in your fridge. So now you've double filtered. Mm. So that's a pretty common thing to do if you have a a refrigerator filter. And of course, you have to stay on top of these filters um, because often we get busy and we forget to change them, um, and that does not serve us well. So, Mm. um, so, so the car. You know, you know those those filters, um, carbon filters are actually useful. Um, There are also types of filters that are called distillers. Mm -hmm. Um, There are gravity filters that sort of you fill up and and they run through a bunch, you know, mostly uh, carbon filter, but basically carbon block and come out the other end. But again, they're limited. They take out a lot of good stuff, but they won't take out necessarily bacteria and viruses Mm -hmm. that can be removed through UV filters and through heating at high temperature. Um, The most aggressive um, form of, uh, you know, of cleaning, drinking water um, is called a reverse osmotic water filter because it requires several filters and a waiting tank um, so that the surface area of those three filters really, really cleans the, the water as best mm. it can. Um, often, depending on the manufacturer you'd have to work with them um, cleaning off volatile organic compounds as well as inorganic and organic viruses, bacteria, um, radionucleotides. And it depends on the, f- the pore size um, of those filters to a micron size that's so small that it's catching those small contaminants. Um, and then it goes and sits in a waiting tank because the flow is so slow that you couldn't have this in a shower or at a sink. Yeah. The downside for the RO filters that my um, very crunchy, you know earthy sustainability colleagues mentioned, which is a real issue, is the waste of water. Yeah. And that for every say one gallon of water that you create, and put it into that tank, you're losing three, four, maybe even five gallons of water as waste. Um, and so in California, for instance, where there's water restrictions in other parts of the country, you have to really, you may pay for that, or you may even be restricted from, from you know, to, with dealing mm-hmm. with those filters. So you know, those are the closest things to dialys- dialysate. My dad's a, a kidney specialist and he deals with hemodialysis patients their blood has to be cleaned through fibers that are incredibly narrow in size in order to clean off their waste product. And I I associate this RO, reverse osmotic, is close to a dialysate Hmm. filter um, in terms of its cleaning ability. Um, But not everyone, and nowadays they're $250 to 275. Um, If you get one just for your kitchen, I think people should know that. They're not, um, you know, uh, inaccessible they cost, my plumber cost me $130 for one hour to put it in. And uh, he knew what he was doing. So he could do it right in an hour. It's very Mm -hmm. complicated. And we change the cartridges out when the flow slows down, maybe every four to seven months, depending on how much we use it, which we only use it for cooking and for, um, you know, drinking and has a separate spout out of the kitchen sink. I have one in my workplace too. So I want to say that you know, again, any filtration is great. No matter yeah. what you can afford, um, it's just necessary to be able to do that without using plastic bottles if that's avoidable. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Most. Uh, speaking of cleaning water, um, you know we all know and we've tasted uh, chloride in our water, which I cannot stand. Um, I think I have I have an allergy to chloride because as if I smell um, bleach. I can smell bleach from 10 feet away and I start coughing, you know, it's, I'm, I'm that sensitive to it. So I can I can smell chlorine in water. You bring me a glass of water in the restaurant, I can smell it, literally. Yeah. So I know there's a use for that, but uh, chlorine is also a very toxic element. And so I would like to, to address that issue and also The fact that some cities are still adding fluoride to our water, which is known to be toxic. So, on those two subjects, what can you tell us?
1: So, um, the topic of chlorine is kind of one of those uh, necessities uh, for human health in a public health arena. Okay, so. You know what we don't realize is that you know much disease and um, much um, illness and morbidity has occurred over the centuries from poor clean, poor poor drinking uh, water in terms of bacteria and viruses. Um, we learned this in England actually, and I'm trying to remember the case where there was one drinking well that everyone was getting um, dying from, and it turns out that that one well was contaminated with some type of bacteria or virus, and that's when they started to. Um, reevaluate the water system um, in, in, in England is it was, it
2: was actually on um, one of the royal estates they had a water tower there that uh, became contaminated
1: yeah it's not uncommon mm. um, in history that was sort of the beginning of that that look to see how mm. how we manage that. Um, but it's not uncommon I mean you can have wells and you know obviously in, uh, in in Katrina in New mm. Orleans you know that water became contaminated from any any area can become contaminated from floods and natural disasters um, which is where water bottled water is a necessity and really is cleaner than any water they'll get locally mm. so you know there is a time and a place for all of these necessities like like bottled water but you know the fact that there's there is a need for certain, you know, chemical um, uh, cleaning of our water to kill the viruses and the bacteria is something that is actually, nece- you know, necessary um, for for a great deal of our water supply. Um, and we've seen this with Nig- Nig- Niglaria, I think was a contamination in um, in one of the districts in New Orleans as well, aside from Katrina. So we're seeing that you can get a problem. So, so I will say this, um, you know, the chlorinated disinfectants that are used, they have a purpose. The question is at what level is necessary um, in terms of, you know, there's always a battle of what is the safe level of, mm. of these contaminants. When you're talking about a grown man, who maybe 200 pounds, it's a very different exposure level than a child or a yeah. toddler or um, the elderly, the frail, even the immunocompromised, um, which are my patients in general. So you know you're talking about a different exposure level affecting that human being with different sensitivities um, and thresholds for, for complications. So I think that should be should and could be reevaluated, perhaps. Um, but certainly there has to be some degree of. Of, of cleansing, of, of purification because of the risk of bacteria contamination. Um, as we have global warming and climate change, um, we're going to start to see um, more bacteria around, more um, issues with, um, you know, we're seeing that with a lot of other areas in terms of tick-borne illness and in you know, other illnesses for human respiratory illness, but we're also going to see this, I think, in contamination of water systems Um, so it makes sense to really think about the chlorination as actually a necessary evil. And then how do you clean it when it gets to your glass? And that's where I think it's really important for the individual to say, you know what? I'm glad it was cleaned. Thank gosh. You know, went through 11 people's bodies. Thank God there's a little chlorination there, uh, or other detergents. But now that I have it sitting in front of me, it'd be nice for it to be cleaned in front of me with less of those chemicals, if not any of those chemicals. Now fluoride, um, very contentious issue for a lot of people, I'm not sure why, but it's really unnecessary for the human body. Um, there's nothing about fluoride that's really required by the human body. From an anthropology perspective, we don't need it. Um, and in fact, um, even you know, amongst my colleagues, it's considered a poison. So we have to really think about fluorination because um you know you can get fluorinosis which is a rheumatologic issue where you have too much fluorine fluoride that can come even from drinking heavy amounts of tea um you know a lot of people do healthy activities like drinking five six cups of chlorine of uh, tea a day they also may be getting a hard a high load of uh, fluorine fluoride so we want to think about what goes along with our water when we like our healthy habits
0: Mm, yeah um i've noticed um you know, when even when I go get a, a coffee at a coffee shop, I always ask them if their water is, is filtered instead of tap water because a lot of them still use tap water. And if they don't filter their water, then I'm not, I'm not well, drinking coffee there because not only it's toxic, but the, the, the flavor of the coffee or the tea is completely different.
1: I agree with you, because if you throw chlorine into that taste, it, it really messes things up. But I'll, I'll take it a little step further, Chef, because I always talk about what are our habits that we do every day, if you drink your coffee, if you drink your tea, why also wouldn't we be thinking about organic tea leaves and organic yeah. coffee, because what you're really ingesting is the whole manufacturing history of those, yeah. um, those yeah. products, mm-hmm. even all the way to another country where they're not regulated. So, you know, I'm very conscious of the whole process of those habits being clean from start to finish. Um, Even if it's the, you know, the glass teapot that I've now been using um, since I avoided the stainless steel that I wasn't sure made in China was necessarily good stainless steel. So, you know, you don't want to get too nuts. And I try to guide people through the smart human and the smarthuman.com with these little tiny, little um, additions to their routine. But from start to finish not only the water as you mentioned should be hopefully filtered but also what you put into that water, how you cook it, how you store it these are all aspects of food and contamination that doesn't even have to be starting from the food it could be from the, from the cooking and the containers that you, you store it in so right. uh, so really there's a whole life cycle of, of our ever of, of our habits hmm. right
0: right so we talked about water coming into a house but a lot of people are not aware that there's a lot of additional uh, toxins available inside our home. Some uh, scientists have actually claimed that our home environment is more toxic than the air we breathe outside, including with the, with the pollution. What, um, what can you tell us about this?
1: So wonderful question. And um, some really wonderful studies have come out in the last few years, not that they haven't been already coming out, but even just more aggressive studies just showing the sheer level of chemicals that fall into the dust in our home. You know, a really good way of testing a home for safety of from chemicals is really to look at the dust because the dust will show us what is falling off couches with flame retardants. Um, it will show us phthalates that come from air fresheners, you know, cleaners that aerate off of surfaces and then land back on the ground, um, plastic chemicals. Um, you know, there's a whole host pesticides that people bring into the home from their shoes, perhaps the animal's paws, um, even bug sprays that are pesticides that we choose to bring into our house. Mm-hmm. So I, what I like to people to think about is not only to get rid of the dust as much as you can through HEPA filter vacuums, through HVAC systems with filtration that's highly rated, you know, making sure you understand the, um, the ducting system of your home. But also think about just not bringing the junk into your house. The number one way to do, you know, to stay clean from as many chemicals as possible is really just don't bring it in, don't buy it, don't purchase it. Um, Where you'll be moving the markets hopefully in a better direction, but you'll also be avoiding, um, you know, bringing these these chemicals from breaking down and leaching out of their plastics and out of their containers. Even computer systems have fire retardants um, in the cords. Those are somewhat necessary in terms of fire restriction. But... Choosing a couch without flame retardants is very important now because the laws just changed in the US in 2013. So I teach people how to look at those labels and and know which couch is actually not filled with flame retardant chemicals. Um, And really thinking about any air fresheners, carpet cleaners, cleaning products. Um, that will eventually become those those dust um, particles in your home. The downside to this dust is really, you know, you figure if it's on the floor, how can it bother me? Well, it turns out that we are actually, for instance, children, toddlers are on the ground, pets are on the ground, cats, you know, I'm a cat lover myself. My cat is constantly licking their paws. Um, and so they're ingesting enormous amounts of these chemicals per, per body mass index, so to speak. Um, children, they're not even developed well enough in many ways through liver enzymes to break these chemicals down, and so we're talking again back to this vulnerable set of you know this vulnerable population: pregnant women, you know, toddlers, infants, young adults. Um, these are important times to really keep those exposures um, as low as possible. I'll I'll tell you, uh, you know, what's from a from a pet standpoint. Um, cats where, you know, it's been an ongoing problem of hyperthyroidism in cats in the US, it was a New York Times article, it's been certainly, you know, the the topic of many research articles, because they're sort of the canary in the coal mines, they're constantly licking their paws their level of flame-retardant chemicals is enormous. I mean, it's, it's 10 to 100 times more than the adults that live in that same environment. Wow. So you're starting to see that they have this, you know, it's sort of an epidemic of hyperthyroid where they're losing weight and fat content. Um, and They're getting very skinny and they're getting heart rate palpitations and all sorts of medical issues from their hyperthyroidism. And it's really kind of prodromal to what we may be seeing um, with so much thyroid disease in American adults uh, or even teens and you know the, the thyroid issues are enormous now Hashimoto's autoimmune um, so it's something really to think about um, you know when it comes to our home environment.
0: Right right and and sometimes it's a good idea to go back to the old days I know I don't want to sound like a luddite but um, I use a certified organic orange base um, cleaner, that uh, I dilute to certain levels depending how strong I want it, I can spray on my counters, they will kill bacteria, they will smell good, I even use it as a, you know, uh, to clean up the air when the the cat smell, is gets a little strong, you know, Um, and I even add a cat capful in my uh, laundry to, uh, because it's a very good degreaser as well, so you use one of these you add, uh, you know, um, uh, let's say you use baking soda. You can use as a cleaning agent. You can use uh, uh, vinegar, you know, vinegar to to clean glass instead of using those chemical chemical spray. That's an old fashioned. That's my grandmother used that. You know, water and vinegar to to clean the the glasses, uh, the the windows. Uh, so some of that, and there is plenty of information out there. Yeah. You could you could reduce your toxic your in-house toxic level tremendously by paying attention to what you use in the home, uh, in your laundry, in your dish. You know, for uh, for my dish um, uh, soap, I use a combination of uh, organic liquid soap with that uh, orange base organic uh, cleaner, and that's a perfect dish soap, and it's all organic, you know, and I use very little, little squirt here and there, and that's all I need, so people should pay attention to, not just the pollution outside, but also the pollution inside, and I think that's very important to point out, you know, I've been wondering for years, why do we have pets with human sickness, like cancers and, you know, all sorts of issues like this, Yeah, you know, what you just explained was, was very enlightening in the sense that, uh, well now I get it, yeah, of course, they are smaller, they, they clean themselves constantly, they, you know, they, they are exposed to all those chemicals that we bring, or use in the house, so we, we, sh- you know, we should pay attention to that and, and uh, you know the health of our children and our pets and ourselves as well
1: yeah and and I think your point about the going old-fashioned old-fashioned I think that old fashions is the new fashion because mm-hmm. um, you know I teach a lot of high school students um, you know that's my passion is to kind of get this this health and prevention information to the next generation And, um, you know, we want people to kind of move forward thinking that they don't have to keep up with the Joneses, the expression of, you know, maintaining the perfect lawn and having the cleanest sparkling home. And, you know, you can do a lot of these things without really the chemicals that we've been marketed to, to believe we have to use those chemicals to be the freshest, cleanest antibacterial you know, we know that living with bacteria is actually incredibly important to strengthening the human immune system. You know, we take probiotics to replenish our gut that may have been weakened or lessened from, you know, from antibiotic therapy. And yet we don't think that the environment in our home should really have, you know, basically benign bacteria. I mean, we're not talking Salmonella or E. coli, we're talking about commensal, you know, probiotics or bacteria. Um, Many of which have evolved with us for millions of years, and so Mm -hmm. I think there's value for those like myself with two children and very busy lives that can't clean as much as I would love to, Um, even dusting with just, you know, wet water wipes without any chemicals, but I think also there are a whole bunch of cleaning products now that are highly rated and very low chemical exposure. And you know, if you're busy and you can't make your products, which is wonderful, um, if you can do that, that's great. You know, using baking soda, as you mentioned, vinegar, um, essential oils that are organic, not synthetic, um, castile soap, um, you know, uh, sea salt for scrubbing. These are all very reasonable ways to do it at home, but you can also now um, research EWG.org. Um, has a cleaning product section that is rating all of those chemical products um, as to whether they're, you know, high risk or low risk. Um, So we now have a lot of options for anyone who can decide to do this. Um, And so that's great. And I I personally love having a dirty home because I'm busy and I have two boys. But I I wouldn't say dirty. I just, I don't stress about it um, because I also know that there's an immune benefit, immune system benefit to not being ultra antibacterial with these products. They, you know, what they also do, like triclosan, which was recently taken off the market in the US just for liquid soap. Mm-hmm. So it was a win, but it wasn't a broad win because it's still triclosan, which is an endocrine disrupting chemical. It affects the endocrine system of humans and wildlife, mm-hmm. is found in 75% of human beings tested, um, can be absorbed within minutes of taking a hot shower with a soap that's antibacterial. Uh, we really need to think about that because we're also creating bacterial resistance, which means that when you actually need a, an antibiotic to work, it won't work because you've been messing with those bacteria through your antibacterial products, which is making them mutate. So, yeah. you know, they're selling floor cleaners with bacteria antibacterial chemicals. I mean, there's over 19 um, similar chemicals to triclosan on the market. So anytime you see um, on the label Triclosan, bactroban, Microban—anything that's marketing to your um, your fear sense, of fear that you're gonna, you know, be eaten up by these bacteria, and it says antibacterial. Mind you, it's really not the truth, and you really want to stay clear of those chemicals because of their ability to get into the human body and children so quickly, especially with right. new parents. You know, new parents. Um, You know, there's a whole marketing campaign, don't let your kid be around dirt or, you know, you really have to tone that down because the science is showing that we really want those kids exposed to basic bacteria, pet dander, Um, you know, kids living on farms, um, have lower rates of asthma and allergy as they grow up. And then exposure, kids that are raised with pets actually have stronger immune systems. So we want to rethink the marketing and pull back on those endocrine disrupting chemicals.
0: Right, right. Uh, we can't expect corporations to reduce their marketing, but we can resist their marketing.
1: We don't and buy the uh, products. Things change. I mean, we're a market. Yeah. move the markets just with our consumer yeah. choices and show them that this is not something we're going to be happy with. So,
0: Right, right. And I'm glad you gave me a good reason to keep my place not so clean. <laughs> that's, an, that's a good excuse. That's but doctor, Dr. Eli told me, I didn't have to keep my place so clean. So you
1: blame it on me.
0: That's it. And no, blame no, I it don't. On you. I, yeah. I don't. I don't blame on anything. Yeah, I'm just no. using you as a as a, a
1: reference. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, so um, moving along, um, let's talk about radiation poisoning. We are surrounded by radiation. Everything we use around the home is emanating radiation, whether it's our TV, our computers, and even more so our cell phones, and uh, there's a big concern out there now with the upcoming G5 uh, cell phone protocol. Can you address that kind of uh, pollution?
1: Yeah, I think this is sort of another area where we're moving so fast that we're not testing enough to know the results of our actions as a culture. Um, You know, we all love our conveniences. I included. I love my cell phone. I love my computer. You know, I'm in order to do what I the work I'm doing, even what we're doing today requires the use of, you know, cellular technology and cellular radiation. So it's a bit hypocrisy, but what we're trying to really figure out is where is this technology necessary and appropriate, and then really how can we turn it off off if we need to, in my opinion, where is our control over the issue? Um, It's almost like air quality. You know, anytime you walk into or in front of a store that's spraying perfume out of the front of its store to gather people to come in, you know, it's almost infringing on your, your rights to clean air. Um, in California, under the American Disabilities Act, um, you know, having perfume or, or cologne in the workplace that bothers another colleague is an actual, um, an issue under the American Disabilities Act and can be refuted and fought. And so um, they don't sell you know, perfume on in magazine inserts anymore. Uh, they, don't, they don't do that because people have such sensitivities air quality wise. So the question is, if I were to, you know, use that as an example for, for radiation, it's very hard now to find any area that does not have Wi-Fi um, use. And, you know, they have amplifiers to get that, that Wi-Fi radiation to even the most remote corners of a hotel or of a, of a property. Um, people complain nonstop if their Wi-Fi is in high speed and working quickly. So we've now live at a new threshold for what we're satisfied with in terms of that convenience. Um, you know, so I understand that now, you know, given that G5 is basically, it's, it, there's G3, G4, G5. What we're seeing is that these additional radio wave frequencies are being used. Um, oh, look at that beautiful cat. Really so cute. I love my cat. Um, but what, what we're seeing is the scooping up of different radio frequency waves um, to be used for communications, um, which sounds kind of neat because we know that they're sort of in between, you know, they're microwave waves, but they're sort of in the middle of the really non toxic stuff and the really toxic radio waves, um, if you were to look at the sort of different technology. Um, so, for the most part, most people don't think that they're harmful, but in fact, we're now seeing clinically. Um, young people, you know, and older people exposed do feel a little bit more confusion, some cognitive issues, there's increases in ADHD behavior issues, um, you know, there, there are definitely clinical symptoms, headaches, poor sleep that are associated with the exposure, um, you know, aside from just using technology, which causes problems with your eyes and concentration and insomnia, but we're talking about literally passive exposure. Um, There's a big movement I know in France to get rid of um, Wi-Fi technology in preschools and I'm not sure if that has gone through but there's a real pullback now in terms of who and what age groups are exposed to iPads in the school that Wi-Fi technology um, because they believe it's going to be detrimental to development and to learning. Um, so just to give a couple ideas of what I try to teach my nine and 11 year olds who are constantly on these games and, and, and computers is that you want to download anything you can download and turn off the cellular mode of the phone or the iPad by putting it on airplane mode. So you can get the games that they love. You can absorb those onto the, the technology, but then you want to turn off that connection because Basically, what you have is an antenna. Cell phones are essentially an antenna, a two-way antenna from a Wi-Fi tower. And so the second you turn it on airplane mode, you don't see that that connection stops. And that's where the problems can be, is being within that environment. Um, I think if we all saw visibly all of the layers of Wi-Fi around us, I think we would be more than shocked and it would not be... Moving in terms of, you know, as fast as the legislation is moving towards allowing these G5 um, frequency waves. But, but the idea is that there are ways to handle technology safely. Um, You know, you don't want to put these phones as many young girls and young people do. um, you know, in their bras to carry them or in their front pockets next to their, you know, genitalia, because we're now seeing that those are sensitive organs. Breasts are, there's a concern as to whether or not there's increased rates of both benign and breast cancers from people who carry their phones right connected Thanks. to their, their breast tissue. Um, there's concern and, and quite a bit of data. I mean, enormous amount of data on sperm quality and quantity and motility um, when people carry their phones at young ages, you know, in and around, um, or even older ages for that matter, but, but right close to their, to their uh, testicles. Um, you know, there's, there's issues with using laptops on your lap without any protection barrier. I mean, laptops technically should really be in a table, um, at least giving yourself some distance. Um, so there's some easy ways to make that fix. Uh, there, you can also now turn on and off Wi-Fi in a home very quickly. And easily, it should be that way in schools. So you can actually stop the areas of Wi-Fi going into various classrooms who don't need it. Um, and I think it should be putting like putting lights on and off. Unfortunately, the lights are much more obvious. So we remember, we see it. There's a visual cue, but we don't see that with Wi-Fi. Um, I recently uh, heard about certain hotel chains um, that may be coming up or have already in some of the bigger hotel chains having special hotel rooms that are Wi-Fi free, so that you can actually, for people who are sensitive, uh, which is real, um, can really stay in hotels, a big, you know, it's a sellable option. Um, And I think that's wonderful, because now we're sort of going backwards and saying, you know what, maybe we should rethink this a little. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I mean, there's a a lot of people miss, Um, the fact that a lot of the products that we consume now both uh, from you know, liquid and, and, and the stuff we eat, contains a lot of heavy metals and aluminiums, and aluminium qu- uh, in quite high quantities. Those molecules of those particular metals act like little antennas within our cells. So every time that you are walking through um, some sort of electric- electromagnetic field, they are in many ways picking up that field and amplifying it, or at, at the very least, Re-radiating it to the cells around them, so the two things together—that the higher concentrations of metals and the more, um, the higher prevalence of of Wi-Fi—isn't doing us any good in this modern age.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I, I would imagine theoretically that is certainly. I mean, we are definitely now filled with more, more heavy metals either through mm-hmm. amalgams. We know that it's a precursor for heart disease, perhaps even a risk factor for heart mm-hmm. disease. Um, in in the TACT trial that looked at chelation and um, and showed a decrease in um, heart attacks in diabetic um, males who had heart attacks that when they were chelated had a chelation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, uh, therapy, they actually had reduced rates of heart attack later on. So there is something to be said for exposure, not only from air quality, where we get mercury lead dioxins, uh, but other, you know, other ways of getting metals through food, drink, and that kind of thing how it relates specifically to the cellular technology i can't speak to because i don't know the data on that but i i think theorlet- theoretically you could you could definitely postulate there's a connection mm. um, but you know like i said i don't know the data on that um you know the the resource that i like to recommend for cellular technology is environmental health trust E-H-T, uh, eht.org i believe or eht.com i think it's dot work Um, Environmental Health Trust is really a a very large body of information on all the studies that are being done on um, cellular technology, 3G, 4G, 5G, some of the exposure studies on when a child holds a phone to their ear, how much deeper the radiation gets in through a smaller skull Mm. with less myelin and more water content than an adult head and skull where that same holding of the phone goes in less deep. And so there's some remarkable studies that if someone's interested to look at, they, they have them all listed and it's a wonderful resource. And I work with Deborah Davis and um, some of those researchers for some of the work I do so that we get it right. She wrote a chapter actually in our textbook. So I I defer to her. Yeah.
0: To his defense, Mark is an engineer. So uh, when he says what he says, I tend to believe him. And it seems to make a lot of sense when you are, when you are, ingesting more heavy metals, and these minerals uh, combined with the radiation would dis- dis- disturb and distract cells near them and turn them into cancerous cells. I can see that in yeah. a kind of a, you know, visual way in my mind. Um, yeah. It could be another reason for why there's such an increase in cancer uh, more recently, the past 20 years then than ever before, and now mm-hmm. we can't just blame the food and the water, there has to be other reasons for that, because it's, it's, it's not just localized anymore, I mean yes, we, we, uh, we talked about breast cancer, when you keep your cell phone in your, in your bra or if you put it in the back pocket and so on, but there's also a tendency for general cancer that seem to come out of nowhere, Hmm. and Mark's explanation could be a very good explanation for that.
2: It's certainly something that needs a little bit more investigation, that's for sure. I um, think
1: it's going to come, though, Mark. I think that we're going to start to see when people... I mean, there, there's research on cellular technology issues hmm. internationally. I mean, it's a collaboration, really, of some very hmm. academic institutions, large population studies, even, even studies of residents that live in and around... Um, you know, cell phone towers, um, mm-hmm. which we know there's a ripple effect of exposure for many of, course, yeah. yep. of these clinical symptoms, but also maybe of long-term pathologic, you know, yeah. um, higher risks of cancer and that type yeah. of thing. So I think it's too early to say, um, but but I think that it, like everything else that I discuss, that may not have, you know, fast and furious, hardcore, double blinded, placebo controlled studies because no one wants to pay for them. Uh, certainly not the industries want to pay for them that we have to do things under a precautionary principle rule of thought where if it makes sense i mean this is a very well-known precautionary principle is a well-known from the wing spread meeting that was in i think 1988 um, of collaboration of many um very very intelligent researchers um and um you know what what they decided is you know we need to think about doing things as a precautionary measure, to reduce exposures if it makes sense. If there's even uh, an inkling of risk, we need to think about doing behavioral changes based on that that potential risk if Mm. it makes sense. And I think that um, allows us to think about behavioral change. It's not a stretch. It's not costly. It's just um, thoughtful, even if there's not hard and fast evidence um, stating that that needs to be done. Uh, from from actual studies. So um, precautionary principle is part of my work every day because we can't wait for these studies to come out. We need to do this stuff now.
2: This is true. I mean, my interest in in cellular goes right back to the 90s when I was an undergrad in Plymouth. Um, A colleague of mine and uh, and myself um, as undergraduates, the sort of the the dangers and the the risks and so forth associated with cell phones was just coming to the you know starting to appear on the surface there so we thought well would be a great idea as one of our projects to test this so um very briefly we had two colonies we had a colony of fruit flies that we split in two Mm. we had test ones that were sort of kept well away from any um any radio signals or any electrical interference whatsoever we had the the other half of that who were subjected to a fairly low level but constant, uh, what was it, 900 uh, kilohertz I think at the time, signal. Um, And within three generations of fruit flies, Mm -hmm. um, the test ones were virtually normal right the way through. But the ones that had been subject to the uh, the radiation, the, the cell phone signal, um, they had um, a lot of deformities and deaths, and the population hadn't just grown as fast as the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the non, non yeah, irradiated control, yes. mm-hmm. control group. So right early on, I yeah. realized that there was something that we needed to be aware of with you know, just cell phone and Wi-Fi technology.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think just, again, anthropologically, I mean, we're electrical beings. Yeah, yeah. human beings are electrical. I mean, you look at the, the art of acupuncture, mm. 5,000 years old, you know, yep. using meridians of electricity up and down our bodies and having, you know, surgery or something that breaks those lines of energy mm. um, can make people very ill. Um, you know, having certain illnesses, being weak or tired. I mean, you know, these, these are very old concepts that have held, um, you know, real power in even modern day healing. And I think when you start thinking electrically that that you may be throwing things off just on the very basic level, it seems to make sense. Um, But we have studies, um, you know, the IARC, the International Agency on Research on Cancer, um, I believe is labeled cellular technology as a possible carcinogen Hmm. um, and not so much probable yet, but I think that's the goal is to move it into that realm similar to glyphosate. Um, But, you know, I have, you know, done research on patients who do work at home um, and are now being forced in certain parts of the U.S. to have ongoing water meters that are Wi-Fi. Mm. Um, And so it's instead of the old fashioned guy or gal who comes by and reads the water meter and has, you know, sort of an analog um, scale basically they're going to put these um, you know because they can better detect water usage yeah um, when it's Wi-Fi generated and it's ongoing well the problem with that is people who are home a lot
2: hmm.
1: uh, we now seen uh, increased rates of cataracts of the eyes mm-hmm. which have been remarkably sensitive I mean talk about canary in the coal mine it might be the organ in the coal mine be uh, right, because yeah. we know that the structures of the eye are incredibly sensitive um, to cellular radiation, I think also we're going to find that having stared at screens for so much of our lives um, and the newer generations doing it most of their lives, um, we're going to start to see, unfortunately, I think things happening with the sensitive structures of the, of the visual system, the human, yeah. human body. So I'm hoping that's not the case, but you know, we have to learn to take that time away and, mm-hmm. and really think about that as parents and individuals. I mean on
2: on the subject of the smart meters there is an interesting and very effective um, legal um, process that you can use that means that if they've installed them they've got to take them out and if they haven't installed them they can't make you have them but We'll talk about that a bit later on.
1: Yeah, and it requires sometimes a doctor's note, which which I've been faced with managing because mm. you know um, not all doctors believe in that particular information or feel compelled or feel that they're you know so so it gets very sticky because you know um, as a physician you want to advocate for the health of your patient mm. but you have to do it within a, in, in the guidelines of your field and also within the guidelines and regulations of your state so you know it gets very sticky.
0: Okay, so um, finally, uh, you do a lot of educating with the younger generation. Can you talk to us about the work you do with uh, kids?
1: Yes, thank you for, for asking. Um, so, you know, having done this work for about seven, eight years, I've had to figure out what my, my belief system is. Where is, where, where is my passion? Because there's just so many topics. Um, involving environmental health, not just chemicals, but really cellular technology, stress, um, synthetic light that's affecting people. Um, you know, So there, there's quite a bit of, of stuff. And what really has kind of risen to the top for me is really not just one particular issue, maybe even drinking water, which is something I, I I'm passionate about, but who do we reach? Like really, who is the population? I mean, I'd like to reach every population. That's the goal of the smarthuman.com and and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds, um, which is the way we have to unfortunately get everything out there. We're dependent on social media. Um, But really, how do we get into schools? And how do we teach these young folks um, who are maybe at an age where they're really socially aware, like teenagers, they're tech savvy and understand computers and and apps and looking up websites for resources. Um, they move the market because, for instance, teenagers use the most personal care products of any demographic, believe it or not, more so than adults and children um so we and men or women so they use upwards of 17 personal care products per day Um, women on average are 12 and men are on average six Um, so they have an opportunity not only to figure out what's for their body that's safe but also move the market towards products that may be safer they're going to vote um sooner than later i'm hoping but you know basically we want to make sure that they get their voice heard for whoever they believe in and whatever they feel is necessary for their for their health and safety of their body um, and, again, they're socially aware, um, so they want to do things for themselves to look good, and they also should want to feel good mm. and make choices. Um, so, so I have really kind of um, become very aware that that's a demographic. And I, I recently presented this data from several pilot projects that I did locally in Princeton, New Jersey at Princeton High School, um, which was a wonderful experience. They're a wonderful community to allow my, uh, my lectures to be brought in and to check the data and collect it. Um, So I went to Switzerland to the Gordon research conference and presented this data and the reasoning behind this demographic being so valuable to our community in the endocrine disruption um, chemical community, which is actually a a large body of researchers internationally um, to discuss these chemicals and and how they get into the body and affect the hormone systems. Um, My partner, Fred Vamsal, who's remarkable for his work with this phenol A, was co-editor of the textbook, was there as well. And I was presenting um, this information. And what I'm trying to do, in short, is basically make this type of health and prevention information available to high schools and high school students uh, nationally. Um, that it is can be an online uh, program, it can be in schools as a teachable program. Um, And so I'm just looking to see who I should partner with who has distribution um, into these school systems for any number of reasons that they're already created, whether it's clean eating in schools or, you know, clean gardening. These are wonderful opportunities to ride this information um, along the distribution pathways to get this to them because they really are the next generation. They're going to have children one day, maybe. And so we want those, those children to be healthy. We have high autism rates as one, particularly in, in New Jersey, it's one in 34 um, is at risk for developing autism, whereas nationally it's one in 51. So it's personal to New Jersey for me. Um, mm. Breast cancer is very high in the state as well. So we want these kids to be armed with as much knowledge as possible mm. so they don't end up having problems that we're seeing now.
2: Do you, do you have a copy of your textbook to hand?
1: Yes, I do. I'll show it to you. So this came out um, in 2017, uh, last, not that long ago. And this was from Oxford University Press called Integrative Environmental Medicine. Um, it was the first of its kind in the sense that we, myself as a medical doctor and Dr. Fred Vamsal, who's, like I said, world renowned for the BPA topic, this A research uh, emeritus professor, at University of Missouri. He brought his colleagues in from around the world that are are researchers that are toxicologists, biologists, uh, NIH water researchers. I brought in clinicians that are heavily involved in gastroenterology and how chemicals affect the gut microbiome, neurologists that talk about neurodegenerative diseases and pesticide exposure. And all of these wonderful chapters were created Mm. um, from both a research world and a clinical world and so that that really was the beauty of this this text it was never as far as i know ever done with 26 contributing authors
0: mm. do so, you have a uh, do you already have a program uh, developed for um teaching kids um uh, because i would be interested in that
1: yeah, to know so it's, more it's, about. it's being created, you know, I do a lot of my stuff, my books, I have a, a new book coming um, up next year uh, for consumers on making these, you know, essential guide for reducing, I'm sorry, essential guide for living healthy in a chemical world will be the title, but I do a lot of these projects on nights and weekends, I have two kids, I run a practice, so Until I find the, you know, it's been built, it's been created to some degree, but it really needs, you know, partnership from a nonprofit group to interact and marry and kind of develop it. Mm -hmm. So I'm in talks right now with some of those groups to see who, who would best be able to synergize um, and get this out there to the people who need it. So uh, the answer to your question is not complete. It's not finished, but it is certainly ready to go once you you
0: Yeah would you be able to keep us updated so we can do another show on that?
1: Absolutely. And, and how I reach and inform people is through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, The Smart Human, um, and the website, thesmarthuman.com. And that's really the, the way I've been able to reach out to people interested in lectures, topics, um, podcasts uh, similar to this, um, which is wonderful, and uh, also any books and, and important information coming out.
0: Super all right that's all for me mark
1: what?
2: well that, Ellie, you mentioned that you live on a farm did i get that right
1: boy you caught that one yes not only do i live on a farm um you know it's a small farm but we are in the corner of 200 acres of preserved farmland owned by farmers in the area that actually spray glyphosate twice a year right So, you know, it's not that we can just pick up and move. And I think people would find that not everyone can just move whenever there's some type of risk, um, as we've seen across the country, especially in, in socioeconomically, you know, um deprived communities really Mm. in terms of their abilities to do a lot of change yes we we are living on a farm that um, we do get downwind of glyphosate Uh, we know when they're spraying because i've created a you know a reasonable relationship with the farmers Um, and so we sort of get out of town for a day or maybe two we don't let the pets outside you know we're conscious of not letting our children walk around barefoot on our back deck Um, shoes are taken off at the door um and actually we're getting glyphosate urine testing which is is uh something i try to keep up with to make sure that you know our exposure is so not outrageous that Mm. that it really does warrant some additional um, changes but um we eat organically as much as we can or we wash in vinegar um one part vinegar three parts clean drinking water to to agitate produce um we, we try to do as much clean living as possible so that one thing such as that exposure um, you know, does not overwhelm our health. And,
0: uh, yeah. I have, I have a suggestion. You might want to connect with moms across America. Mm-hmm. They do wonderful work uh, um, educating mothers
2: yeah. about
0: the dangers of, um, you know, glyphosate and so on and so forth.
2: That's so you'd wonderful.
0: be a perfect connection uh, for you to even do talks or shows yeah. with them.
2: Yeah, they I got a good podcast as well.
0: Yes, they do. They do. Uh I have a lot of admiration for that group. So uh and we we had them on this show a couple of times. So I would um if you're interested, I can send yeah. you
1: please their connect information. Me. Sure. Yes. I mean in the meantime, I've been traveling anywhere and anyhow anyone wants me to speak to them um you know i speak to large and small groups corporations all the way to schools and you know churches and synagogues and and the like so you know i'm just ready to get that messaging out there um so yeah i would love to connect with them because anyone doing good work i want to be a part of or contribute to
2: super job well we've been chatting for uh, well over an hour uh, getting on for an hour and a half and i'm conscious right. of your time Is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we close?
1: Um, I guess, you know, I think we covered quite a bit, which I'm very happy (laughs) with. Um, (laughs) I think I need to go get a drink now that I'm, uh, you know, but but I want to just make mention that, you know, back to the whole concept of empowerment. I think we're all too much living in a world where we're sort of doled out, you know, the status quo And perhaps now's the time we should be really picking up, you know, and really thinking about what we can do as an individual. Um, This was a journey for me. I used to eat Oreos, Cheese Whiz. I used to, you know, really just not such healthy habits, you know, all the plug-in air fresheners. I was that person. And if I can do it, trust me, anybody can do it. So I want people to feel not resistance to change, but to take it on as a journey make one or two changes every week or month and, and congratulate yourself for making those changes, like switching from plastics and microwaving and plastics to glass, carrying food and you know, in, in glass and stainless steel, getting rid of nonstick pans, cleaning up your water, cleaning up your air quality. Um, I think it's a journey. And so when people feel that they are okay, to like some bad habits, but maybe move on to them later, I think it's okay. We just need to, you know, just keep moving forward and, and keep educating each other.
0: Right, and top, talking about radiation, do not use microwave oven, please.
1: <laughs> well, I would love to say that, but we have one. We just use it very carefully. And that's a whole right. other argument. You know, it's, it's if you're gonna use your habits, your, your stuff you like, which we love our stuff, um, we have to just do it really smartly and make sure mm-hmm. we use them thoughtfully and get out of the way and don't let children near them and, and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe well, eventually we'll get rid of ours, but the idea right. is until we make those kind of decisions, it's always smart to just do it um, thoughtfully.
0: There is that, there's the radiation aspect, but what, as a chef, what I'm mostly concerned and a nutritionist is the, right. what it does to the food
1: and no how it destroys it. the food. Yeah. yeah. So from a nutrition, I'm an integrative health doctor. I work with Dr. Yeah. Andrew Weil, um, who many people know who's probably watching this. Um, you know, nutrition's critical and it's deficient in so many of us. And that has a lot to do with, you know, when we're nutrient sufficient, believe it or not, we actually handle these environmental chemicals better. Um, we actually can, you know, kids that have enough are not anemic and have enough vitamin C in their blood actually handle lead exposures, for instance. Those of us who have good microbiomes handle heavy metal exposures um, because we know that those bacteria can absorb some of the, um, the, the uh, heavy metals that come into our, our diet and our water, you know, through food and water. So being nutrient sufficient goes back to how do we cook our food. And you're absolutely right. There is a question of nutrient loss when you use microwaves. So mm-hmm. that's a whole different area. But I also say that we're living in a microwave oven. And in fact, it might be safer in there because at least it's a box with special walls that we don't have. So, you know, I don't know where to live anymore, but I, you know, I think you're right. Your point is taken that, uh, you know, there are, there are risks across the board um, and to just mm-hmm. be thoughtful about it.
2: Right, right. Okay. Before we close, though, Ali, uh, can you give us your uh, website again?
1: Sure. The website is the and Twitter, Facebook and Instagram would be at the smart human um, and on Facebook, the smart human. So I'm pretty consistent across the board. Um, and if anyone needs to reach me personally for the work I do locally um, and I do telemedicine actually for environmental exposure issues. As well as obviously rheumatology and integrative medicine, is Ailey, alycohenmd.com. So, alycohenmd.com is the website for my practice. Super
0: right. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having so me. So, we'll, we'll do my world famous closing now. Thank you again, Ailey, for being on the local paleo show. And as we say in Texas, a votre santé, yo.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's become a, a, a inside joke. My, my silly closing, "À votre santé" means to your health, and "y'all" is what they say in Texas for "you all." Yes, y'all. So I'm I'm a Texas French.